Hello and welcome to the 55-1 Podcast. My name is Wes Verdine, and I am happy to be joined by my comrade in Philadelphia, Alex Schieferdecker. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm great. Have you been fully celebrating uh, the L- LCD sound system record coming out? Yeah, I've been, and I've been sort of mixing it with the national record. So I'm steeped uh, in middle-aged man rock. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> Will uh, anything new from Wilco that you can just throw? In there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, I think they call it dad rock, but um, <laughs> uh, so just really quickly, uh, both of those records give me a, a letter grade. I think they're both excellent. But, That's not I mean, a letter. No, uh, I think A, you know, I don't know. Okay. I'm a 26-year-old okay. white man. I love this music. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't quite be ready for dad rock yet. That's my that's my beat. Uh, join <laughs> me in, in the room. Uh, Kurt Baker, welcome. You are uh, chiefly uh, here, uh, not just for your, your uh, brilliant soccer knowledge, but because you have created something called the Tap-In Guide, which is a website and app and... Uh, Give me what's the what is the gist of it for for the listeners? Yeah, hello, welcome to be here. No, Thank glad you. to be here. <laughs> welcome. Uh, this is the last time I'm going to be on, and uh, nailing it. <laughs> yeah, killing it. Uh, so tapping, it's a it's a soccer calendar with context. So the idea would, was that you could open it up and within two minutes know the matches of the moment, why they matter, and that's it, and get away. Um, and not do the endless scrolls. So you're like looking at the Azerbaijani Premier League just to get to the next thing, right? So it's only the matches that matter. Um, is Whitehawk FC covered in that? Uh, yes. Okay, that's my team. <laughs> in the 6th or 7th division, and they uh, have not yet won a game this year, and they just lost 7-2 last weekend. Well, um, on this podcast, we are going to talk not just about, I'm going to ask you actually about that app because I'm fascinated. Um, but we are going to talk about, uh, we've got the U.S. Uh, Paralympic national team. We've got, uh, let's see, TIFO. We've got Minnesota United. We've got a ton of questions, so we probably should kind of kick right right in with that. Um, Alex, are, are you prepared for, for life? Can we start with a good? Let's go for it. Okay, good. All right. Um, the first good I'll start with is, uh, last weekend, very quickly, um, you know, a bunch, a a small group of people who were from kind of almost all of the different uh, supporters groups, uh, in, for Minnesota United came together and created a, we dream together, uh, TIFO. It was fantastic. Uh, very fulfilling for me to be a part of, uh, in part because, one of the soccer people I met through the Howler world, I then realized is a, is a dreamer. And I, I, you know, I've met a lot of different types of people through, through that. And I kind of drunkenly tested, texted this or tweeted this as I went home the other night, uh, a little, uh, if flew, you know, excitedly, but, um, but I, I was excited. Did, did they put it on the TV, uh, broadcast? Probably not. Uh, I didn't see it on the TV. Yeah. I saw it uh, on the, uh, on Twitter. Anyway, I, I only bring that up because I think it's also in part uh, after all the, the drama earlier in the season with the team, the team actually decided to have a conversation about this and figure out compromises or, com- you know, just actually coming to the table. And I'm very happy that they did that because everyone can be happy. We can do something meaningful and be happy. But um, 
let's start then with another good. I actually have three goods and then some bads and, and whatever. But the Minnesota, the the baby baby loons, uh, Minnesota United Academy played their first games this weekend. Um, the U thirteen team and U fourteen team. The U fourteen team won its first game seven nothing. So both won seven nothing. They did. They both call won, them won. up. Yeah, I mean, at this point, can any of them play left back? <laughs> or you know, I, do they have a number ten? Yeah, exactly. Or can someone replace Sam Nicholson? Um, we'll get we'll get. Then they tied Nich- their next games. Nicholson talk here, but I I do want to say actually, uh, I've been trying to figure out. I I would love to, to find people who are interested in writing about that team. We're not going to obviously cover them in the same way of like hyping them up, but um, if if anyone isn't interested in that and you, they have. Uh, you know, decent writing chops do get in contact with me. Um, I don't like putting out calls on Twitter because I feel like they never come up with something good. But podcast, it, it's a smaller group. It's a curated group of, of geniuses who listen to this. So, um, You know what's funny about the youth teams is that I, we were like, oh, we won 7-0 our first games. And I was like, okay, but I don't really care about this. Like, this is 13-year-olds. And then I was like, but... Alfonso Davies is three years older than 13. He made his debut for Vancouver as 15 years old. So, you know, if there is an Alfonso Davies in this team, we'll, we'll know about him in a couple of years. That's pretty crazy to me. So, like, young, they're young and winning 7-0 against some random team and tying some other random team doesn't mean anything. But, it's you know, these kids can grow up fast. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Let's 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 ruin their lives by hyping them up. No, I'm just kidding. I, Alfonso Davies is like a once in a generation for Canada, though. Yeah. Although I guess they have a couple couple guys who are also almost as young. But um, the the other good I've got for you is, uh, and then I'll I'll let you do do uh, the next ones. But is the U.S. Paralympic national team? They started off the World Championships with a six nil uh, walloping um, of uh, Australia. I'm interested in this in particular because I've written about Sean Boyle, who is from Minnesota, and I've got two articles I've done, one from last year from the Olympics and one recently, and uh, people should check it out on 55.1. He's got a great story. All these guys have great stories. Uh, All all of them, Paralympic soccer is all um, some sort of brain injury, Um, a lot of times cerebral palsy and things like that, and... um, Sean is, you know, a 22 year old, et cetera. You know, he, he just had his, this injury, um, two years ago. Uh, and now he's kind of like a sophomore in college trying to get his life back together and, uh, doing fantastically. And they won, uh, they've got two more games in the group stage. The next one is, uh, Northern Ireland on Wednesday and it's on YouTube. Uh, I'll tweet out the, the, um, the, where you can find it, or you can go follow them on Twitter, the, U.S. Soccer underscore PNT, I think. Why don't you hit us with the with the bad, Chief? Well, this is really your wheelhouse, but the bad, I think, this week was the continuing and ever-widening chaos that's going on in the lower divisions. Um, last week, you broke the news that U.S. Soccer had uh, denied had sort of rejected uh, NASL's Division II status for next year. 
Um, this is obviously after a year after they sort of gave USL and NASL provisional Division Two status. Um, and so now we've got this weird situation again where USL may or may not be Division Two next year. NASL probably not Division Two next year unless something weird happens. They're going down to Division Three or collapsing. We don't know. Um, it's just all in flux. And and for for fans and Minnesota fans of a certain age, and I'm not one of them, but this is really a callback to what happened. What was it? Seven, six or seven years ago, with yep. all of the turmoil that that engulfed the lower divisions at that time. I mean, I think U.S. soccer thought at the time that they had basically created a system that was going to last at least for a decent amount of time. And here we are less than a decade later, and already the framework that they had set up is is completely fallen apart. And and you put out an article today, and by today I mean uh, Monday, Monday. um, basically saying that, you know, U.S. soccer needs to step in again. U.S. soccer needs to step in and really show some leadership here because the sort of hands-off approach they seem to have taken in the past couple years has just led to more chaos, and and we need a new solution. We need a better solution for these lower divisions. Yeah, yeah. I'll say. I mean, I've I did I think five or six radio podcast interviews last week, so I, I actually don't want to discuss this at length. But people should go to the total uh, total soccer show. I did um, the whole episode. I did an interview, and we talked about Minnesota United. We talked about um, the NASL stuff, and and kind of did it in a in a way because most of their listeners are not as attuned to that. So I, I don't want to rehash it all here, but I, yeah, that that part um, from the article today is really just like we we need to stop coming up with band aids and short term solutions of well, is NASL. Uh, do we give them provisional status this year or not? And, you know, let's start actually thinking about like bigger, bigger problems here. And I, and I know they are, you know, I know that there are people actually specifically tasked with this thinking about this, but, um, it, us soccer is, a, is a, you know, it's, it's basically the NSA, man. I mean, they, they are a bunker and you don't, you don't really get much out of them. And so it's hard to say what, what they're doing or if they're, smart enough to answer it or or, i I don't know but it is it's craziness we won't go too deep into it it's obviously a really tricky issue and if there were an easy solution it would have been done by now i do think that the one silver lining when you compare this you know this sort of go around of chaos what looks to be going you know a sort of implosion with the last one is that they're the, the individual teams are much stronger this time um, that's how it seems to me, at least. You've got these teams like Indy 11, who even if NASL goes under, Indy 11 are probably going to stick around. You know, uh, I think that I think that that is something that gives me more hope this time. That the you know the fundamental teams that will be the building blocks of any league or any system of leagues that get set up, they're much stronger this time. I think you have less. You just have more in general, but you, you, you also have these, these really standout teams who are going to exist no matter what. Yeah. And then uh, let, let's go to the weird, which uh, I, I know you're also uh, ready to talk about, which is that Atlanta United uh, opened up their new stadium, uh, the, the Megatron's clenched butthole. Um, and uh, they had their first game there. And in part, I'm, I 
want to start out by saying, because I kind of meanly made fun of uh, my friend Ryan Catanese, who works for the te- their team. Uh, it is great that they have that fans have a stadium and they are filling it, and it's awesome. You know, I, that. But I know that you, being someone who cares so much about stadiums and design and stuff, you you've got thoughts. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I like echo. <laughs> I, do. I I echo what you said, which is that like you know it's great for the Atlanta fans, and the atmosphere in that game was electric. And the Atlanta tweeted at some point, I think before the game, um, video of the fans doing their ATL cheer, and it was really it was like a goosebumps moment. I mean, the atmosphere was just brilliant. But so I I was really excited about the stadium, and I was watching videos of it before. Because um, this is what I do in my spare time, was watching like touring videos of the stadium, and it it is really dark in there. That's one sense I get. It just looks. I think the opening at the top of the stadium is significantly less than the a clear roof to the new Viking Stadium, and uh, yeah, there was also some issues with the sight lines. I mean, they say it was designed with soccer in mind, but I mean, come on, we know what that means. Uh, you know, so there are some positions, including some of the supporters section where you can't see the end lines. Um, I think that a lot of that stuff is, is really unfortunate. And, and I, I do think that as, as crazy as the stadium is, as a feat of engineering and all this kind of stuff. And you said this on, on Twitter. I'm so happy that Minnesota will be playing in its own specifically designed soccer stadium on grass, open air. That's the way that soccer should be played. Let me ask you this question. I'll actually ask this to, to you, Kurt. And uh, Alex, you can order it as well. Jezza Penguin asks, in what order would these items bother you as a soccer fan at Atlanta Stadium? Giant cavern, turf, sight lines, clenched butthole. Where do, where do you put clenched butthole on your, <laughs> on your bothering? Uh, turf, one, sight lines, Giant cavern, clenched butthole. No problem with clenched buttholes. Okay, <laughs> I'm potty training right now, so <laughs> I, that's actually number one on, on all my th- Alex. All your do you, problems. Do you have a Do you have a vote here, Alex? I think that's a really good order. I, sight lines are pretty. The sight, like the turf, though, is is like understandable. But to me, the sight lines are kind of inexcusable. So I'd yeah. flip the order of those two. But yeah, giant cavern to me is is it like, and I I don't know. I'm really curious about how sound carries there. But I've talked about this a million times. Yeah. U.S. Bank Stadium, just like the uh, Megadome, whatever it was before that, uh, just totally sucked out all. Like you could you can just feel your voice dissipating and going into nothing and um and soccer is about building that energy and and so when it gets really loud at u.s bank stadium it's really freaking loud and that's great right but i I mean i'm thinking not about home openers i'm thinking about six years later on a wednesday night how easy is it is it for you to to build that and with a, a stadium you know uh like cloud city where it's going to be sunk down you've got the roof Sound will just carry so much there, and uh, I, you know, I will take credit for that. I, I probably in every meeting where we would talk to the team or Bill McGuire or something, I would just say, "You need to have a roof to keep sound in." Don't care about weather, but sound. So I, I, I'll take credit for that. I did that, guys. And we should, we should just say that just 
for people who don't know, the clenched butthole joke is a reference to the roof of this stadium. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's an extremely elaborate, a sort of retractable roof, and it's multiple moving parts. And this is going to break, guaranteed, in the next couple of years. But it's a bunch of movable parts that sort of come together and to close this circular oculus at the top of the stadium. And right, right and now it's, it's it can't like, open. I think, it, well, yeah, I, they, they've I'm had pretty, issues I'm, with it. I'm pretty sure it can't open. And then I had someone uh, who knows things uh, who uh, indicated that it may never open. And so to to have a a retractable roof on a billion dollar state, I don't know. That seems yeah. I I think the ideal is if everyone did what Sporting KC did. I mean, the stadium down there is incredible. The atmosphere is great. It's perfectly sized for American soccer. You you know, you walk into the stadium, you walk down into the stands. Yeah. You're just in this little cauldron. I mean, there's a reason why they call it go. that. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's um let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll um we, we will talk about Tappan Guide and then we will also talk Minnesota United FC. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fifty Five One podcast. Uh, we just continued to uh, complain about Megatron's butthole during the during the break. So then, now we're back. Um, uh, Kurt, I want to come back to the Tapping Guide because I'm curious uh, as someone who creates soccer things and thinks about what types of people read or listen to those soccer things. Um, most of your content in this app, and it's only out on iOS right now, right? Yep, it's only on iOS now, Android in the coming weeks, and then on the web okay. everywhere. Yeah. Um, so people can go to tapinguide.com. It's, um, it is very difficult for me because I, I read it as tape, taping. Taping tape, weedy? Taping weedy every time. <laughs> so, um, but, but who, do you have a sense of who, like, is it, do you have people coming to your website or reading or, come, or downloading the app all over the world? Or is it still like coming out of the U.S. because those are the circles that you know the best? Yeah. So right now it's been half U.S. and half abroad. Um, you know, Australia, the U.K. being the next two big ones. But, you know, it's we're on every continent. It, it's a cool thing to be oh, able to. Wait, wait. Antarctica? Someone? Ooh, okay. Well. Yeah, don't maybe don't try I, to sell yourself. I do have a friend that works down there. I'll get him to log yeah, in so I can. We claim stick it. to the facts on this podcast. Yeah, do, yeah, do that. Yeah, I don't know if we're in Antarctica. I, I'll, I'll go look at our analytics, but yeah, and you know, I think that speaks more to the global nature of the sport. Right? Is that you can create something for soccer, and people all over the world are going to pay attention to it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's amazing. The the uh, locations that were reading the uh nasl story from from this past week um uh so you are doing a lot of it is euro content like it's the big big leagues right the so what's up this week is probably some stupid team called man U, which i know that you follow <laughs> uh probably the big big the big dogs of spurs versus dortmund yeah things like that yeah i mean do you go do you hit like when fc st pauli have a good game to you? Are you hitting that as well? I'd like to because they have a okay. badass logo, so we'd be able to design that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the past, when we started in 2014, it was 
truly just a guide to the World Cup. And that's how we got started. And then we came back for the Euros and Copa America alongside our pals at Howler, covered both of those. And then we did Champions League last year. And and now with this new concept, you know, kind of born out of my own frustration and from what I was hearing from others is there's so much incredible content and games to follow um, that it's overwhelming. And I was even having trouble wanting to look back on the weekend and be like, okay, how did Real do? How did Pulisic do? You know, did Bayern win again? Um, Just being able to find that in one place was difficult for me. So with the newest concept, it really is just that top level, like it says on there, essential matches, right? So it's the idea is that the matches that you need to know are there. And, you know, we're assuming that you are going to follow your own team. Like you're going to know how Minnesota United did. Um, And I think it's allowed us to be focused and different from other apps that are the enormous laundry list of scores. Like we are absolutely not that. And we realize that we are one of a few sources of information for people. Um, But we hope that we can be one that eliminates some frustration. And you're the prettiest, at least the prettiest, you know, you you open up fat mob and it has, as you said, Azerbaijani league, it's got everything. But uh, you guys have at least it, at least it looks nice. Yeah, um, and I and I think on on the standpoint of you know the teams we covered, a lot of that is driven on what we hear from people. You yeah. know, so so right now it really is the most you know I don't want to say dumbed down, but you know it's the top teams in Europe. It, every week we're going to cover. You're going to see the Bayern score, the Madrid score, United City. You know, the top teams from the big five leagues over there. Um, And that's just, you know, our first proof of concept. But if we get a bunch of people telling us, like, dude, you need to get more MLS, you need to get more League MX, like, I could very well see us um, adjusting and being more of a North American-centric view of this. So we would cover top MLS, League MX, and then the Dortmund game <laughs> every week can always give you money to do that or something. <laughs> that's true uh you are you, yeah, this, hello, is MLS. Al- this has already made you rich i assume yep uh no this is what people call a passion project which is a polite word for hobby it's the it's the cool way to call a hobby now um <laughs> it's well, a hobby that hopefully your your spouse can't get as mad about we'll see if you, right. if you want to get rich that's that's why you cover mls because i mean all of us at 55.1 get paid Directly yeah, by Don handsomely. Garber to shell yeah. for the league. So it's weird. He literally personally writes us each a check. Yeah. So, so I, I got a, a special bonus. Knowledge. I got a special bonus last week for killing the NASL. So <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, Minnesota United. Uh, um, it was a 1 1 draw against Philadelphia Union. Um, I, I'm feeling better about this uh right now i'll just say like uh you know my kids are started daycare two weeks ago and they um now touch touch their nose and say feeling check so i'll just i'll do that kurt feeling check (laughs) from on on last weekend's game you know i feel like i'm recovering from an illness like i'm not actively sick but you know i've been sick recently is kind of how i feel alex feeling check i'm sort of incapable of feeling pain at this point (laughs) Um, no, I, I didn't, I don't know. I don't care about results really. Um, I thought it was an interesting game and I got to watch it with John Tannenwald, which was always fun. Um, and we just kind of griped about both teams. So 
John, Jonathan Tannenwald is, uh, you know, he, he covers Philadelphia Union, and he is a fantastic griper. My, our listeners will, if you know him from, from Twitter, but in general, in, in real life, he's a marvelous griper. Um, let, let's start with... Um, Let's start with the bad part, which is, I think, really the beginning. The first twenty minutes was really terrible, um, and we've seen Some twenty minutes we've seen. like this before. Um, but you know, the, right away, let's start with the goal, which was um, basically the ball. Uh, Philadelphia bring the ball forward. Calvo at left back comes forward, try you know challenges for the ball, gets the ball, but then immediately loses it, and so all of a sudden he's now left the winger that he was marking alone. That guy gets the ball, and Sam Nicholson belatedly comes into the show and um, chases him down and tries to to harry him, but gets um, left playing with his dingus, and that guy is Fafa Pico, who we in Minnesota know from his Fort Lauderdale Strikers days, and he was uh, fantastic then. Then he went over and played uh, in Prague and then at FC St. Pauli, and now he's back in the U.S., and um, he puts in a fantastic cross, and who's there? CJ Sapong finishes it at the back post. Um, totally unmarked. Yeah. Well, he kind of pushed Tison a little bit out of the way, but... Tison, I think, was not. I mean, it was a very gentle push. It should not have pushed anyone with any amount of mass out of the way. So, it's a it was a frustrating goal right away. So, I, I don't know what we can say about that. I'm mad at Calvo. I'm mad at uh, Sam Nicholson for that. Uh, and, and but, and I think outside of that isolated moment, what was incredibly frustrating is the first maybe 20 minutes it was so obvious that Philly was just going to choke the midfield um, and not let us advance the ball and we didn't have any other ideas and it's it's kind of the live by Ibsen die by Ibsen and we were dying by Ibsen at the beginning of that match Um, and just straight away you knew that it was going to be tough for us to to have to create enough chances to win and and I think it's more frustrating to see Philadelphia come out with a distinct plan to shut us down when every week it feels like we have no clue. Like, I, I still am confused about what the plan for this squad is. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think you're right in that the, the the start of the game, we were trying to do something in the center of the field, and we were just getting outgunned and losing the ball. I mean, the first five, ten minutes. I don't think we had the ball in their in their third final third, certainly not, but but barely had any possession in, in their half. And and I thought it was one of Ibsen's worst games. Or one of let not say worst. It was one of his least influential games. I didn't yeah, really reading see. the match report on fifty five one, he wasn't mentioned after the lineups section. Yeah. You didn't, which is rare because it's either he, you know, he, yeah. he did something horrible or he did something, he had like a really important game. I think at the same time, it was like, and I don't want to like set Wes off here, but I think it was Sam Nicholson's best game for Minnesota. Yeah, no, no. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Yeah, we can, let's talk about that. It was it Sam Nicholson's like, best game. It he took still us about okay. 20 minutes. I, <laughs> it took us about 20 minutes, I think, to realize that we couldn't play the ball in the center. We had to stretch them a little bit by putting pressure on the wings. Once we did, 
the balance of the game shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I guess I'd echo your frustrations that we sort of keep going into these games not really having a plan or like the other team has a plan and they do it to us. And then we respond versus us doing something to the other team. Um, but we did respond. We did sort of figure out, you know, where, where we could play the ball and where we could play soccer. And after that first 20 minutes, it was watchable from our side. I, I want to be clear. I do think that there are times when, um, that we don't have the having a plan and and taking control of the game doesn't necessarily have to mean playing that tight possession game that we sometimes want to play. Um, it can look more like the smash and grab in Chicago. I think you in particular, Alex, and I would probably echo it a little bit. Um, you want to see a little bit more um, discipline in a game like that Chicago game uh, if we're going to do a counter attacking smash and grab. Um, but this game. Uh, let's just get a, get Sam Nicholson out out, out there because I do think that he had his best game. He had some really good attacking chances. They came to nothing, but the the shot that he put on that um, Andre Blake had to save, and this was pretty early in the game and maybe tenth or twentieth minute, um, was a fantastic shot. Should have gone in. Blake made a great save. Um, he had a couple more chances later in the game that um, were more kind of what I would call boilerplate Sam Nicholson, get the ball, do something jukey, and then like kick it at someone, at the defender. And if the defender wasn't there, it might go toward the goal, but <laughs> there's a defender right there. So, But he did, he played pretty well. I think that he, I still think he was partially, you know, he was half to blame for that, for giving up the goal though. So, uh, you know, he's he, it, it was a better game. I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> but I'm uh, one of the guys who stands in front of me in the DC's uh, DC section. Uh, Colin Solberg w- was just riding me the whole game, just like, "Oh my God, Sam Nicholson's going to score, and you're going to have to, you know." Now everyone wants to just—they're cheering for Sam just so they can make fun of me. Yeah. Well, once I said that we had to like unlock Kadri or, or unlock Schuller as one of the two, and then he tweeted at me every time they did something terrible ever since. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if if Sam Nicholson could have scored a hat trick, and that doesn't change the fact that he he was useless in the previous games. But uh, <laughs> l- let's talk about then the good part, which was in the good part for Calvo, right? Which was all of a sudden then the the flip side is in the 40th minute, Calvo gets to the top of the box and just does you know starts FIFA move like basically what I do when I play FIFA because I don't really know how to play video games anymore, and you just hit all the buttons and then your guy does these weird things and. He just like did the did the spin move, did like you know pick the ball up and put it and pretended to be pregnant with it, put it back down again, <laughs> and then uh, shoots the ball. Andre Blake had to, has to awkwardly uh, save it. It drops to Ethan Finley. He kicks it. I think a a boo who got the assist. I forget. Abu or Molino just like taps it in in or front it of him. Bounced off and like a Philly guy. Bounced off. Yeah. Okay. And then Ethan Finley just just puts puts it away and. I didn't think Ethan Finley had a stellar game, but he's Johnny on the spot. He can put the ball away. And so there we went, there we were, and then we were off to the races. What a crazy season for him. I mean, before he was traded to us, I think he had one assist in his in however long he had however many games he had played for Columbus at the time. I don't have the number in front of me. And now in three games, he has what, two goals and two assists, or two goals, one assist? That's fantastic for him. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's been, <laughs> we can't yeah, really say about him. You know, I think we can talk about how he's maybe just replacing past mistakes, but I feel like Finley's a guy where we can begin to build from, right? Like, like I feel very confident about Finley on, at this club moving yeah. forward. We have a right winger. So there we go. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and then you can figure out where Molino can go with that. Um, the problem is I think Molino is probably still one of our best players, even when he's out of position. But mm-hmm. if we wanted him in his best position, that's where he'd be. But that's a that's a, a future uh, future problem to figure out. I think, it's the, a, I think it's a this problem, this week's problem to figure out, because this, this week we might have Ramirez back. And if we play with two forwards, because I don't think Dunlady will sit, and I don't think if Ramirez is healthy, I think he will not sit. So I think that gives Heath a choice between four spots for Molino, Nicholson, Finley, Ramirez, and Dunlady. If I'm making the decisions, Nicholson sits, but I'm not sure how Heath will, will sort it out. The one thing I'll say for Nicholson, if you're talking about doing that lineup and you've got Nicholson or Molino playing out on the left. One thing I'll say for Nicholson over Molino is that Nicholson will run and do some of that defensive work. I don't think Molino's going to do that. So you're going to have to be making up for a lot. Uh, and I, I, I don't know that, that kind of, that would worry me a little bit, but Molino is um, the untouchable on this team, right? He, he and Calvo are not going to be benched. So, uh, I, I don't know what to do there, and I think I would still probably play Molino and make sure that Abu knows that he's got to do a lot of defensive work, and and Abu does does do that pretty well. So, um, let's talk about the second half because the second half went far better. Um, Minnesota had really good moments. Ibsen got unlocked. He started to make those passes that are like outside of the boot, looping like off the backboard, nothing but net, which I guess is. The opposite of nothing but net, but I don't know what basketball is. So 68th minute is the next big moment. That's when um, the the penalty and yellow card uh, get called against Aguche Anyewu, um for a handball in the box to second yellow. Um, then uh, after all that happens, then we hear it's a, a video-assisted referee moment. And uh, for three minutes, the stadium just dissipates energy just you just sit there and you're like waiting you can't cheer you can't sing because you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and you're like looking on twitter is someone did is was it the right call looked right to me i don't know and then finally he comes back um uh stroikov is that the referee's name uh he comes back and he says oh it's turned over uh and I don't. Do you have anything to say on on the how it was turned over and whether uh, on that, Alex? Or well, the the call, and, and it's hard to say. Anye was sort of went in the air, and I mean it was no doubt a handball. Um, but he did kind of get pushed because there's, there's always contact in the box in those situations. Um, I think that you can Minnesota fans can feel aggrieved because, as you pointed out, Sapong gave Tiaison a little push on the first goal, you know, and why wasn't that reviewed? And, well, and then, yeah, on Sapong. the same play, Sapong was manhandling Coleman. And yeah, Coleman, Coleman gonna, should have gone down, but right. if, he, if, he gets thrown like five feet. If you're going to look at 
the you know if you're going to redo the play look look at it on the video i think a lot of people are saying why can't you you say okay you know onyewu was pushed but oh there, i spot over there that other foul and so it's a you know a penalty kick for the other reason i i, I think it's important okay i i mean i think it's important that the the var focus only on the call because then if you let the referee look at everything else that happened, you it, it will take even longer. I mean, the referee is, has to watch right. every single interaction again and again. But I also think that, and I, I think that there's a there's a case to be made that you know the, the, that the that the decision about whether or not Onyewu was fouled was that really significant enough was it a significant enough foul and it, how does it really pertain to the fact that Nyewu had his hand up in a really weird position well and, uh, and one of the things about VAR is that it needs to be an obviously wrong call in right. order to overturn it and I don't I think you can still watch that and go was it a foul was it enough of I don't know I think know. it was the right call but I don't think it if it makes any sense I don't think it was like obviously wrong as called I think it was one of those like 55 45 kind of calls and I think that it just it did feel weird to have it overturned like that. And, and I, I think that it took so long is also a, an issue. I, I think the, that VAR as intended is not happening. And what's happening It's happening is that, in Germany. It's not yes. happening in the United States. Well, yeah, and I, I don't know that close enough. But what's, what's, not, what's happening here is that the referee chickens out and knows that, all right, all of a sudden, I had to give a, a red card here, um, and it's a penalty. The game is going to change. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny on me. If I call it back, then people just blame VAR. And if I let this go, then people blame me. So I, so rather, what he's doing is taking, a, a better, taking more time to think through uh, the whole situation, which yeah. is not, you know, we want referees to get things more right. But that's not what VAR is here to do. It's to overturn uh, egregious calls. This was not an egregious call. It was stupid, and that's that's what kind of bugged the hell out of me. The and most it, egregious part of the call was the was the the second yellow card. Uh, to me, it was like it was one of those handballs that it's like okay, that's you know unintentional. But he handled the ball. It was in a, his hand was in a weird position. It's a foul, but it's not a card. The fact that he gave him the yellow card and sent him off. I think that no one blinks an eye if the call on the field is penalty kick, but Onyewu doesn't get a second yellow. But I think that doing that sort of double jeopardy with the penalty and the yellow, that, I don't know, I think that may have, may have been a, a played a role in, in, in the referee, sort of, as you said, chickening out in that situation. Yeah, and actually the most frustrating part of it for me was how it just totally killed the atmosphere. So it was quiet for the three to five minutes that it took to review it and then it was quiet for the next 10 it was it was so odd because it had been rocking you know right up until that and then it was just dead because even if he got the wrong call right right you, the energy would still be there and we'd be pissed at the ref exactly but because we think he got the wrong call but no one knows what the hell's going on mm -mm. it was just like just like pissed like what's going like and not like just pissed in a just like deflated way yes it, it it was terrible live. I don't. I, we don't have in, to continue on with it. Well, the but. way they, the, just to say that the way that they've been doing it in Germany this season in the Bundesliga is 
the, the, the video assistant, the guy looking at the screen is another referee and the referee on the field trusts them basically. And so you have these situ, I've, you know, watching the Bundesliga this year, I've seen it a few times where there's a call made, the referee, you know, the players go up to complain to the referee. The referee sort of says, hold on a second. He puts his finger to his ear. He listens for, you know, 10, 15 seconds at most. And then he makes the call. And I've seen it maybe once where he has to, or here in now she has to go to the video screen. Um, otherwise, most of the calls are just like the referee puts his finger to his ear and the video assistant says, you know, man, you got that totally wrong or you got that absolutely right. Or maybe in a rare chance, like you should come take a look at this. I think yeah. that, that is a much, much better way to do it. And I think that I hope that pro is going to look at that this off season and say, you know what? We need to give more trust to our referee in front of the video screen because they're also a highly qualified referee. They can make a decision for our referee on the field if come, if need be. Um, let's the final moment we'll talk about is, uh, well, we had some good defensive play, uh, by Bobby Shuttleworth, but the Abu Dinladi almost goal in the third minute of stoppage time, um, which did not make either the highlights or even the condensed 20 minute match on MLS live. I had to go like watch the actual, cause I knew it happened. I was like, when did this happen? I watched the last 25 minutes again of the game. And, uh, by the way, audibly, no, we do have to talk about this audibly yelled uh you know earmuffs your kid fucking johan <laughs> god damn we gotta talk about, well we got uh, we've got uh twitter questions about johan uh i just i i should not have rewatched the end of the game but anyway abu Dinladi uh finley sets up this beautiful goal um by nutmegging the opponent and then i think either johan dummies it or touches it a little bit anyway uh, Johan did something mildly useful, and then, but Abu is two yards offside. He was miles offside. I mean, just that, and that's where you remember, right? This guy, this is his first year of being a pro. So, and Chris Ramirez is always offside. No, 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 he no. is Abu offside. Is, very Abu. I mean, he's not as offside yeah. as Abu was. He's He's playing the lines, but he is still frequently offside. That's what a good, a good forward is like playing that line of offside. Uh, but uh, Dunlady had sort of made a run or he had gotten in a position and then he, he, he wasn't reading the play well enough to realize that he needed to sort of get back and yeah, yeah, make yeah. that run again. Christian would have only been half a yard offside. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, all right, let's, uh, let's take a break. Uh, unless, uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Johan in the... The Twitter question. Uh, but we'll take a break. We'll come back and do uh, tweets. All right, we're back on the 551 podcast. We've got uh, Kurt and we've got Alex uh, with us. Uh, first question from Jeb Brovsky is, and this came in GIF format. So, What's so great about boys anyway? Kurt, do you have any? Um, I've got nothing, actually. Nothing great about nothing boys. Nothing positive. Alex? Yeah, i got nothing either. I think they should be stripped of all power. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're talking about just boys, I mean, Emil's pretty cute, so I'll oh, say that. That's true. 
his his ability to line up his trucks is pretty great and his joy at lining up his trucks. Uh, this is from Jezza Penguin. What photos of Heath does Johan Venegas have that is that his walking and jogging is preferred over Ibarra when he we could be pushing for a late winner? Uh, and then uh, additional question from Temple of Loon. I guess someone, this is the, he was the first person to respond with the question. I guess someone could discuss the futility of Johan Venegas, but I just wanted to say thanks for the work, 55-1. You're welcome, Tem- Temple of Loon, and now we will discuss the futility of Johan Venegas. He was bad. Very yeah. bad. I I feel, I almost feel bad for him, but I feel worse for us who have to watch him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly it's just a guy who's, you know, not confident and trying to work back into some confidence. And it's just, it's not happening for him. And I, I cringe every time he comes on and it's not getting better. I wanted to, I want him to have the, the comeback moment. So I do, you know, he's back from international break. I can see this, right? Like we, we want to make this work, want to make this relationship work, but then you catch him sleeping with the garbage man again. Every time, every time with the garbage man, man. (laughs) it's not that good looking of a garbage man, and he smells like garbage. So, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's I, I, I want it to work, but then you know what? My high school sweetheart Miguel Ibarra is there. So, at least Ibarra has a first touch. So that's something. (laughs) Oh boy, does he! I remember that from high school. (laughs) (laughs) Jeb, that's what's so great about boys. Right. Um, so, uh, next question. Ben Krauss Gagne uh, says, uh, Dunlady, oh yeah, discuss how Dunlady can possibly drift three yards offside in such important moment of the game. You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, so we did that. Um, Jim at New School, New School says, Inchi likes Nicholson because he's more aggressive, positive player with the ball at his feet. Why is that bad? It's not bad in theory, Jim. It just needs to be the end, end result. Yeah, I mean, I, I too want uh, Ibarra to pass less backwards. But as I pointed, out, I didn't look at the pass maps yet yet from this. But as I pointed out before, in the four games Nicholson had played, he'd only passed the ball twice into the box. So that is not aggressive and positive, right? That's he he puts on the show of it, but. Again, Sam can prove me wrong. He can settle in, and then I'll be the happiest man on the planet. Not happier than Colin Solberg, who really wants to rub that in my face. Max Powers, will Minnesota United have an affiliate, a USL affiliate in 2018? They will not have an official one. They will not have one like a Minnesota United 2. They may have a partnership like you know, say maybe the Riverhounds or something like that, um, and and that will be a, a, an official affiliate in that way. But they seem to at the beginning of the season, the people I talked to kind of poo pooed that idea. Like, why would we need to do that? And I was just like, well, because it'll help you with your <laughs> roster rules, and you can have more players that way. I, I mean, do I need to explain this? I don't know. Apparently, I did. Um, so I have not heard about that for next year. Next question. Uh, Phil Grooms, what if neither NISA, which is uh, Peter Wilt's Division Three, that's going to start up next year, 
or NASL are viable leagues even by 2019? Then the teams in them will go other places or fold. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's really... <laughs> I, I, I think that USL will probably remain. So all of... To, at least to USL, like all of this stuff is sort of, you know, it's sort of extracurricular, right? They don't really care, I don't think. So well, they, they care, they care in, a, on their in, own. A, in a secret joy kind of way, yeah. though. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeremiah says, uh, Shuttleworth is currently four in saves behind Bendik, Hamid, and Robles. What meaning should we take away from this? Uh, and then he asks about how about those little loons. Uh, but what you you love goalkeepers, Alex? Yeah, um, Shuttleworth is like an average MLS goalkeeper. Um, he's fourth in saves because he takes a lot of shots because our midfield isn't very good. Um, but if you uh, there's a good one of the I don't know American soccer analyst analysis has a. Um, they count uh, goalkeeper expected goals versus expected goals allowed, or, or expected um, expected goals versus actual goals allowed. Sorry, and Shuttleworth is middle of the pack in that list. That rings pretty true to me. Um, he's a good shot stopper. He's not tremendous at commanding his box. He's totally adequate for our purposes, but probably not like the long term number one that I think we need. Let's finish out on this question, which is the best question we've ever had for this podcast. Scrimp from super rookie who just survived the, the hurricane down in Orlando. Uh, he says, walk into the club on hot Saturday night and Alexi lawless challenges you <clears throat> to a B-boy battle with Kobe, Clint Mathis and Frankie Hayduk. Who's in your crew. I had you both think, th- think this through. Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah, I got Joe Nasco, oh, Clement D- Diop, okay, and Rafa Marquez. Damn. So Joe Nasco is DJ, DJ Sheriff DJ. Yeah, uh, DJ Lettuce DJ, Hands. DJ uh, Lettuce Hands, DJ Beard Trimmer. That's a good pick. I'm very jealous I did not pick that one up. Uh, Kurt? I had Ray Hudson, so you can commentate it. <laughs> He's your, uh, hype, he's your hype man? That's yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Demidov, because he's hungry. <laughs> he needs to prove himself. And I think he would take any action he can get at this point. Um, oh, wow. And Rene Higita, scorpion kick. Ooh. He's got to have some moves. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, damn, that is a good one. I'm not sure if I can top these guys. But I will, I will go. Instantly, my brain went to Alan Gordon on this. I want Alan Gordon because I know that he's he's at least brought the cooler of beer and is ready for this. Sebastian Velasquez, who, but only during his Davy Pro, Davy Crockett raccoon hair period, because I think that that dude could probably just nail it on the dance floor. And then this is not this is not funny, but probably just real. I think Fafa Picot is probably an amazing dancer, mm. and he's just fresh in my mind. So um, you guys definitely definitely won this i i i think uh dj beard trimmer is pretty amazing if if we put in dj beard trimmer ray hudson as the hype man and sebastian velasquez as the as the uh raccoon boy i think that we could have a pretty damn good dance crew here yeah i think we would take down alexi's crew for sure 
Oh my god. I feel good. Yeah, yeah, especially the old men on that team. Uh okay, I want everyone to uh, hit us with your B-boy crew. Um you can we'll use the hashtag 551 B-boy crew. Um uh please hit us. I'm going to I'm going to start throwing these out there now on on Twitter. Um uh thank you uh Kurt for coming in. Uh I'm I'm very excited about when when my Android phone can finally have your app on it. Soon. I've, I've been bugging you every time every time. You- Every time I go to the website, I'm like, oh, I wish this were an app. And then I, I think the you. first thing you said on the day the website came out was, make a damn app. <laughs> yeah. I, it's easy, right? Huh. Everyone makes apps. There's always apps for that. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. And everyone, uh, we will see you on 55.1 and elsewhere. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs>